0: Greetings and welcome to Broken Boxes. In this episode, we hear from Dene and Chicana sound artist Autumn Chacon, who uses her activism, art practice, and community involvement to communicate as a contemporary storyteller, both locally and internationally. Autumn starts the conversation with reflection on the term artist, and how claiming this identity allows for a breaking of the rules institutional working environments do not allow. We talk about sound and noise art, the complications of being a conceptual artist, and anarchism as a way to force understanding. We learn how Autumn became an activist at a young age, informed by her parents and their generation's advocacy and frontline work. Autumn shares her cultural relationship to sound and waveforms and how she has committed her life's work to the deconstruction of ownership and forced regulations, which she carries out in all aspects of her artistic practice. We look at the global solidarity that was formed at Standing Rock during the No DAPL action, and Autumn reflects on her time in the movement. Autumn breaks down a global performative action she organized with other indigenous women in order to block funding for extractive industry, and which has been formatted and used in actions globally. We end our conversation with Autumn's work as a pirate radio engineer and how broadcast transmission also plays an important role in her artistic practice, breaking the boundaries of how art is accessed in institutional spaces. She pays homage to the long lineage of quote unquote, illegal broadcasting and reflects how pirate radio forces us to ask an important question. Who do you ask permission to and why? Autumn's sovereign communication tactics and long-standing work as a sound artist and broadcast engineer continues on from a long line of activists who have used waveforms as critical tools for survival and communication during resistance. Autumn brings us front and center to an awareness of an ongoing silent struggle for our rights and reminds us to pay attention. Autumn Chacon, thank you for being on Broken Boxes podcast Um, and being a friend, (laughs) being a fellow sound nerd. (laughs) (laughs) And just for context, for everybody listening, we're um, hanging out here at Autumn's house in the South Valley in Albuquerque. I'm sitting amongst just tons and tons of cables and speakers and records and um kind of leftovers yeah flashlights (laughs) leftovers from performances and um protests and um direct actions and just kind of being in the world that is Autumn Chacon's creative process and also strewn about is toys from Sunrise this most wonderful, special human that Autumn made. Also, <laughs> maybe her best creative oh. <laughs> endeavor. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we just have, yeah, we just have this time together and I'm really excited to share a little bit more about Autumn. I've interviewed Raven Chacon. I've interviewed Nani Chacon, Nani Chacon, which are um, siblings to Autumn, but... I've always been such a huge fan of Autumn's work, and it's a long time coming that we have this conversation, so thank you, Autumn, for being here with us.
1: Totally. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming, making the trip down here, too, um, on an almost rainy day.
0: I know. <laughs> I was like, it was like 90 degrees yesterday, now I've got my windbreaker out. Right. <laughs> Um so, do you want to just go ahead and introduce yourself uh, maybe any way you like to identify uh, how you how you carry yourself in the world relationally and through your artistic practice and we'll just go from there.
1: I know my identity and introduction always changes.:
0: That's good. <laughs> <laughs> we need to evolve constantly. yeah
1: <laughs> depending on how I feel today, but um yeah, my name is Autumn Chacon. I'm a member of the Navajo Nation. I'm also um Chicana and um I'm a full-time artist, mom, uh activist, and um I'll just leave it at that for now. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, how did you how did you decide art was something that you wanted to like have in your identity like being an artist like where did that come to you first like
1: yeah i, I started out um, you know when i was younger you know went to college got jobs um, but i didn't i didn't finish college and all of the jobs i ha- i had were in media i worked in tv i worked in radio a little bit in like film and and movie production but you have to be you know part of a union and stuff so eventually I kind of figured that I'm not uh I'm not doing things by the book and that's like that's like a problem for other people (laughs) (laughs) um so it's really hard for me to go into a space and be like uh, yes, I'm a recording engineer, or yes, I'm a sound engineer, or yes, I'm a videographer, um, because oftentimes in those spaces are people who went to school for engineering or they pay union dues to be on a film set, and I'm not any of those things. Um, but if I walk into that same space and say, I'm an artist, <laughs> um, yeah. then people, they just shut the fuck up and they, you know, they don't question what I do or how qualified I am Um, and then it also gives them you know the opportunity to just look at my work for what it is rather than whether or not I did it by the book or um, you know especially with engineers Um, a lot of my work does require you know some actual electronic engineering um, which I've been able to learn In the field and from mentors and peers and other people who are um, like open minded enough to, you know, want to teach somebody who hasn't paid for an education, um, which is, you know, there's this very gatekeeping attitude about who is and who is not allowed to you know it's like practicing medicine like yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't you shouldn't just be out there doing stuff um so there's a lot of engineers who will like refuse to help me because um i don't have a license to broadcast or i don't have you know certain credentials or i'm not like following the proper equation or whatever so um i think through that is is one reason why i've just kind of like it's been kind of easier to identify as an artist than anything else, but also, um, you know, that's that's kind of the nuts and bolts of my work. But the concepts in my work, a lot, all of my work is is heavily conceptual. It's not always visually impactful, um, but you know, if I explain what's going on, then somebody might be like, "Oh, wow." Um, and so, in that way, over time, i've realized that I'm just speaking a different language mm-hmm. um, and same with my activism and and work in the community is you can only spell things out so much for a certain audience you know you can only you know i've done I've done all of the the nerd work i've mm-hmm. I've written legislation I've gone to d c and lobbied i've um I've been in the courtroom. I've worn a suit. I you know, I've done all of all of that, but at the end of the day, if that's not getting through to people, is I have this other sort of anarchism <laughs> <laughs> that um you know, kind of like I have to force people to understand. If you know, I okay, I did it the civil way, you know, we tried that. You're still not getting it. Now come into my world and yeah. see if you, you know, put Put connect the dots in that way. And sometimes they do sometimes, um, you know, people who have seen my work say, you know, I've, I've been exposed to this idea my whole life and it never clicked until I saw this thing being plugged in the wrong way or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> until I was exposed to this harsh noise, like, you know, whatever. Um,
0: yeah. It's funny that you say art is kind of like this subversive way to like experience like spaces that aren't meant for us or like like held as like inaccessible like artist is kind of a key to experiment in ways that more formal institutional spaces doesn't allow right and it feels like it's really interesting that you brought up like anarchism and activism and kind of paralleled them because I really do feel like there is an artistry in direct action in like different ways to like, um, move, uh, abolitionist thought forward. And do you think of activism as an art form?
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't separate the two. Um, like I said, this is, this is all one identity for me mm-hmm. is um, it's, I mean, it's entirely up to you how you're perceiving me in the moment. Um, Mm. because right for my five-year-old, she doesn't see me as an artist. (laughs) She doesn't (laughs) see me as an activist. She just sees me as mom plugging Mm -hmm. shit in the wrong way, like, um, making a point by any means necessary. And, um, You know, and then so other people might say, oh, I want to put that in a gallery. Other people might just say this, this needs to be written about and put it, you know, put in an archive. You know, so it's always up to whoever, whoever receives the message and how they want to move it forward.
0: Yeah. And what was your first leap into activism? Um, Because you said you had kind of like gone through and lobbied and... and have experienced like more formal ways of like affecting like civil justice so what when when did you be like you know what (laughs) I need to play a little dirty
1: honestly (laughs) my very first if I if I were to really like consider some something that I wasn't even conscious of at the time was uh when 9-11 happened I was a freshman in high school and by the end of the day, you know, whatever, planes crash into buildings at nine in the morning or seven in the morning, whatever, whatever. Um, But by the end of the day, everybody's like, we're going to war. Mm-hmm. And I, and my little 14 year old brain, even though I had no idea what was going on in the world, I just knew like, that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, so. Starting with the Iraq War, um, I was anti-war from age 14, um, and just knowing that that, you know, that there's right and there's wrong, and, um, it was my dad, who's a, he was a criminal defense attorney, but he also, um, you know, grew up uh, a movement activist. He was part of the Chicano movement and the Chicano moratorium in East L.A. And, oh, really? The, I didn't yeah. know that
0: about your dad.
1: Um, and, you know, he married a Navajo woman. They were both part of the AIM movement um, in, here in New Mexico. And um, so both my parents, you know, once they saw, hey, our, our daughter is, like, using words... <laughs> that we're familiar with like anti-war and he you know he took that opportunity to educate me about um what it was like being anti-war in the 1960s being against the Vietnam war and how it had, and how how our lives were parallel at that time because he was he was anti-war anti-Vietnam war when he was young um and and that was a lot of the Chicano moratorium as well because we were seeing you know back then disproportionate um what do you call it uh recruitment mm-hmm. into the military where it was mostly black and brown americans being recruited to go to vietnam
0: and kind of um, like that first line
1: right mm-hmm. and that and that was you know that was kind of the the spark of of black and brown solidarity against genocide in other countries which is which is a huge concept that we you know don't continue as a conversation in 2023, like we should, mm-hmm. um, because that's what we, then again that's what we were seeing in 2001 when the you know planes hit the World Trade Centers is all of a sudden we're going to war. But who are these people going to war? It's going to be all these <laughs> black and brown people who who need a way out, you know, of the res, out of the ghetto, out of the hood, mm-hmm. whatever propaganda they're gonna they're gonna feed you. This is your ticket. Um, when it's not, when really you're just genociding other people in another part of the world. Um, so I became activated yeah. um, at that age. I wouldn't say I was I was you know out in the streets actually protesting and 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 creating dialogue with other people, but but I was aware that um, you know there's a there's a silent struggle. Um, among everybody and for for right and wrong, and everybody believes they're on the right side, so um that's what makes it a struggle and um it wasn't until I was in college that I really met other like minded people who were um, into protesting into standing up for rights and um a lot of that was the Kiva Club
0: at UNM. Okay, so you went to UNM here in Albuquerque? Yeah, I went to UNM, and I
1: became the vice president of the Kiva Club at age 17. Whoa,
0: <laughs> So what's the Kiva Club, for those who don't know? The,
1: the Kiva Club is um, its the oldest student organization on UNM campus, and it's also the oldest chartered Native American student organization in the country. Whoa. Um and it was first chartered uh, in the 50s. I don't remember the exact year. Um, and it was created as a space, uh, an on, and on-campus space, for a lot of, at the time, a, a lot of Native Americans coming off of the reservation, moving to Albuquerque for the purpose of going to UNM, and then, and then those worlds colliding, this Western academic world colliding with the, the world that they came from t- in order to to achieve academia um so the kiva club was was initially this kind of safe space where um Native Americans can socialize and you know converse in native language or you know talk about things in their communities without having an absence of that in the classroom or um or 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 just an academia period, but they're also responsible for. The creation of Native American Studies Department in, in at UNM, and also in, um, you know a lot of people are more familiar with uh, an incident in the late '70s with with the Kiva club president where at the time one of the of the board of Regents, one of the board members, the Board of Regents of the university um, was the mayor of Gallup, and he also owned a liquor store in Gallup, and so there was this perceived very much conflict of interest—one that he's the mayor and that he owns a liquor store—is like one huge red flag yeah. um, for the people of Gallup because Gallup is a border town between the Navajo Nation and and. Um, I don't know, New Mexico, the rest of New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because reservations are dry, mm-hmm. um, Gallup tends to be very exploitive with its alcohol use and service where it's, yeah. I mean, there, there's currently a cap on new liquor licenses in Gallup because they're so maxed out for like a town of 20,000 people. There is so many like bars and liquor stores and pawn shops um, and it's predatory. And for the mayor to participate in this type of exploitive behavior is, one is a bad thing, but for him to also be appointed to the Board of Regents of the university, that's when it became a concern of the Kiva Club who, who advocates for the, the safety of Native Americans on campus. And so an escalated protest turned into the murder of, of the Kiva Club president. Um, his name was Larry Kasus, and he was uh, murdered by the Galapiti, in. And what year was this? About nineteen seventy eight. Okay. And that sort of became the legacy of Kiva Club. So mm. there's, so there's been a, so there's this violent history, and that's a lot of kind of what people associate with the Kiva Club today is, oh, this radical activism where somebody, somebody was murdered. But this is also like nothing new. You know, we're talking about Black Lives Matter, is police abolition. Today, yes. when that was nineteen seventy eight, and a college student was murdered by the police, and 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 his a photo of his dead body was hung up in the fraternal order of police there at Gallup, and was was actually ordered to be taken down at some point. So this this is a continual legacy. And again, back to my you know back to my dad, mm-hmm. um, he he also fought the cops <laughs> back in the seventies. So so it's, you know, throughout throughout my activism I've also had this reference to the past where kind of knowing like, okay, this isn't new, this isn't our first rodeo. This isn't the first time we've been targeted by the police, that we've been that the police have been used as a tool, you know, even going all the way back into the the Calvary of like, what is the function of the police? And how and what is their method of removing um, people who they don't want to be in an area, what is the justification and and what extremes do those justifications get
0: get to mm-hmm. um, and so how did that affect your um your leadership role in Kiva Club when you were seventeen, like coming in there like and knowing that past and carrying that with you like w- how did that shift what you did in your role
1: um not, I'm not sure. I think maybe kind of just the, the idea that, um, like, hey, you're not wrong mm. <laughs> is enough when you're that age. Now I'm 35 and I'm so tired all the time. <laughs> my body hurts, and my feet hurt, my back hurts, and I want to lay down. I need coffee. I need coffee. Like, (laughs) but at 17, I just fucking wake up all chipper, like, drink some water, like, go protest, go, go study, go to school, go to college, 18 credits, and then, and then go organize a student thing, you know, like, that is something, you know, actually, I was just at a, like, an all ages, like, hardcore show last night. (laughs) another podcast we'll talk about, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but there, you know, there's like all these young kids and there was like some drama and some just like teenage stuff happening. And, you know, some, some other friends and I just thought, you know, you can't pay me to be a teenager again. I would never want to go through this awkwardness and this pain of growing but then again, shit, I miss the energy. I miss just being like, I can't do it all, but I could when I was 18. I could go to school. I had a full-time job. I went to school. I was organizing students. Um, so, like, really, if, if it hadn't happened in that time, it wouldn't have happened at all. Mm. And that was really just kind of a foundation. I eventually, you know, I dropped out of college after three semesters. Um, couldn't, couldn't make up my mind what I wanted to study. Um, I, you know, I, I really felt, had strong feelings about institutions to begin with. Um, both my parents are academics. They're both UNM alumni. Um, so in a sense, I had been on that campus my entire life and, Just wasn't feeling it anymore. So Um, there was
0: a little anti-authority.
1: There was anti-authority. Also, you know, there is also like, you know, walk the walk is a a lot of my work has also been very anti-nuclear, which is like such a broad subject.
0: Yeah. What does that mean to you? (laughs) Right, I've I've been thinking about it a (laughs) lot, like because I've been seeing it come up.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a show happening in Santa Fe soon that's that's on that topic. Um right, and it's it's such a weird thing because like how, how do I have any relationship to nuclearism? Like what, <laughs> you know, like, oh, here's Autumn gonna save the day being anti-nuclear when like, what the fuck does that mean? When, you know, when like our country has the biggest, highest nuclear spending budget in the world, mm-hmm. how could I have any type of impact on that? Why, like, why are you even chasing that? Like, mm. right, focus on something local. But here in New Mexico, it's a very local issue because very this, true. Is, this is where the atom bomb was born. The Oppenheimer like project, the Manhattan Project, um, happened in like within miles of the Santa Clara Pueblo. With, you know, within within yelling distance of indigenous communities. You know, even even today when we talk about the amount of radiation that a human can be exposed to as far as as far as like what's regulatory, what's what's allowed. You have this like thirty year old healthy white man that is um, like this is how much radiation exposure he can withstand. So therefore, that's what we're gonna we're gonna base all radiation exposure on. But with the communities that are actually exposed to radiation. Is like how much radiation can a twenty year old pregnant woman withstand, mm-hmm. and radiation is one of the f- the few types of poisoning that can penetrate the uterine wall and you know here here in New Mexico we're in the u s so there there and, and at the moment we have a Native American director of the department in of interior. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out Deb Holland. Yeah,
0: Deb.
1: <laughs> Auntie Deb. <laughs> yeah. but the, which, is, which is unique and amazing for us, but other indigenous communities around the world, such as the Cayman Islands, mm-hmm. the Marshall Islands, is, is because they're indigenous, they're not, they're not an established gov- world government, they're not owned by another government like England um so they have no representation and they're they're usually not even considered people these these islands are considered uninhabited because they're not settled and they're not colonized and so therefore the indigenous people who do live there are erased and even though they live there people say no one lives there and then they they test these nuclear bombs today in, in these parts of of the ocean so that so that's a problem. That's a contemporary problem that does trace all the way back to here. Mm-hmm. Also, southern New Mexico has the WHIP, which is the where all the waste goes, the nuclear waste. Mm-hmm. And um, in order to get all of the nuclear waste from the rest of the country into the waste pilot plant in in southern New Mexico, is it has to be trucked here. And so these trucks carrying toxic plutonium they travel our highways but eventually they all travel new mexican highways and they could easily just spill Mm -hmm. and then who's going to clean it up right it's not going to be the federal government it's not going to be the epa what they're going to do is they're going to create a quote-unquote job opportunity for local new mexicans to go clean up this toxic shit that spilled
0: What are some like constructive ways to like practice being anti-nuclear? Like I mean, you must be uncovering that through your art, through your practice, right?
1: Um sometimes it's it's a heavy topic and it's it's something that I've um actually gravitated away from. But it's, you know, even though it's a it's a it's a it hits hard at home. Yeah. There's not really anything you can do, like like, don't, please don't go block a train carrying nuclear waste. Like, please don't go block a truck that's, you know, on a route. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like really, the, the, the work is in law and legislation and mm-hmm. regulation. Mm-hmm. And there are current, you know, regulatory proposals, like, in state legislature and, and Congress to heavily limit like, how much of this toxic stuff can go on public highways. Um, another kind of channel that is used is there are pl- other, pl- other parts of the world, um, I think, like, maybe Scandinavia, they reuse the depleted uranium, which turns into plutonium. As a, as a different type of energy source. But it has to be processed. Mm-hmm. So it still has to be transferred from, you know, we use it up here and then we have to transfer the waste to a whole other country. So one of the ways that it gets out of the country is through the Great Lakes up through the Hudson River and and then out just above New York. So... Again, if there were an incident, that there goes Lake Michigan, there goes the Hudson River, there goes Lake Huron, there goes you know, there there it all goes. There go and that those are our, this is you know, we get back to water is life. We get back to everybody shares water. Yes, and and you know, uranium is just like. It will live so much longer than any of us. <laughs>
0: uh, ain't that the truth? Yeah. And, I mean, that's just making me think about like how you're like, so don't go out and block a train, you know, but legislature's good. But then I'm also thinking about water is life as you're kind of bringing up these points. And I'm, I know you and I know you, that you had a big part in the Standing Rock water protection. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that and why you decided to like um, engage in direct action up there, and like what that meant to you. Yeah, um,
1: when it comes to life and death, really, mm-hmm. because yeah, water is water is just so sacred. Mm-hmm. The water we drink every day is millions of years old. <laughs> right, it's been the same water <laughs> this whole time, and if we fuck it up now we fucked it up forever. And, you know, when it came to Standing Rock was, again, I just knew here is a community that does not have the representation that it deserves. Um, if it was any other community in this country, except for Flint, Michigan, you know, (laughs) somebody would be like, this is a problem. We can't be poisoning people's water. Um, so, right, I don't live in Standing Rock, but that, that same issue could easily happen here. Exactly. And it has happened here. Yes. Um, yeah. and And I wish there was the movement that happened in Standing Rock at every time this happens to an Indigenous community, because we're constantly... The cheapest, easiest route for energy projects to to cross,
0: and the safest. The quote, safest route. Right. I mean, the
1: it, it could easily and it has happened here. There's there's actually a um, a natural gas pipeline that goes through the Isleta Reservation, which is just south of here. Mm-hmm. It's just ten miles down the road from my house, and the reason it doesn't go through Albuquerque is because if something were to happen. It would fuck Albuquerque, but if it goes through the Isleta Reservation, it's win-win for everybody. Isleta gets paid, and nobody in Albuquerque has to risk their water being toxified. But we all share this same river. It just matters, you know, just here in Albuquerque, we're just a little bit upstream. And in Santa Fe, we're even, you know, no way is this going to happen in Santa Fe. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, um You know, and if, and if at that, if, if there was the same amount of protest in Standing Rock as there was in Isletta, um, or just anywhere, you know, back to the Navajo Nation, a lot of, um, there's, there's, Uranium milling that takes place in Utah and it has to get, you know, taken back down here to southern New Mexico. So therefore it has to cross Arizona and the entire Navajo Nation. Mm-hmm. Again, that uranium spill could happen anywhere on the Navajo Nation. We saw with the Animas River, yeah. heavy metals being, you know, quote unquote, accidentally spilled. Eh, they don't need quotes. I'll believe them. It was an accident. Sure. but <laughs> but, <laughs> but the effect is real that that part of the river feeds into into indigenous communities. Yeah. And that impacts whether or not there's this urgency to clean it up. And then it also who cleans it up because when it happens in our community, they seem to want our own community members to clean it up. And they'll sure they'll give us a job, but we're not that hungry for jobs. You know, it's like here the the US government came in, took away our water, took away our way of life and then tries to give us back these morsels of employment just so they can feel good about us. <laughs> Having jobs, oh like, my God. yeah, it's, um, you know, this is what fuels activism, this day to day. Where do I fit? You know, this is why I'm an artist. I, I can't get a job as a, as a engineer, as a, as a person. They don't, they're not gonna let me do things. <laughs> in a institution or a, like a facility. Like, no, I have to, I have to do it on my own if I want it to happen. Otherwise people are going to, you know, they're going to try to cut me off (laughs) and they're going to censor me and they're going to, you know, they're going
0: to disrupt your
1: disruption. (laughs) Right. And they're going to somehow monetize it for someone else. Yes.
0: Yeah. I think that's what Standing Rock really showed a lot of our generation is that, it it just stood for every place almost like it it activated it activated us all in a way people who are giving a shit about the water about the planet about like the future um it just made us realize the power that we do hold outside of institutional spaces and formal patterns you know and that's what really inspired me about seeing people from all over the nation and even world come out and show up how they could, because it was like they were standing up for Standing Rock, but they was they were also standing up for their own communities. And do you feel like you resonate with that?
1: Definitely, yes, exactly. That's um, and and you know you said it perfectly. Everybody, everybody who was there, especially the people from from around the world. Um, one of the long long time relationships that I developed in my my time at standing rock was with um sami activists and it was just so like beautiful that that they the sami people who are like the last remaining indigenous people of europe who have this strong indigenous identity they know they're indigenous which is just it's so beautiful because you know we like here in the US you see a lot of people who are like oh i'm i'm you know Anglo-Saxon or something. You know, they like try to identify with this really ancient, like, oh I'm Viking descendant, whatever. And and it's like, okay. You don't know. Okay, colonizer <laughs> with your damn whole foods. You know, whatever, you ain't, you ain't leading no Viking worship. But then there's the Sami people who are, like, right there, and they're like, no, we kicked the Vikings' ass, like, <laughs> over and over again for the past, like, how many thousands of years, and we're still here. And, they, and they're, it was just so amazing to also just bond with our cultures um, because, I've, I, you know, we learned, like, okay, the Sami people who are on the other side of the world... They carry their babies in what's essentially a cradle board. They live in Lavu, which is basically a teepee. Yeah. Um, even though even the, the inside structure of their lavu um, is very much like a Navajo Hogan. It, really it is, yeah, the, the interpretation of where everything is placed and how you conduct yourself in this space is almost identical to how you conduct yourself in, inside a Navajo Hogan. Um, wow. And just that is like one of the just most like
0: indigenous knowledge is really universal. When you start breaking down like respect protocols, right? Right.
1: And and the personification of of in, inanimate objects, which is like you know kind of this caricature sometimes of Native American culture, but um, it's it's just really it's just such a great feeling when other people understand that you yeah, know to yeah. to to see to see a, a fire or water or an element and recognize its spirit rather than its its physicalness. So so to hear that from, from people who aren't from my community, who aren't saying these things in my language, is just, is like, that's what we're fighting for. That's what water is life means, is that we all have this understanding that we're connected. All of us are connected, so we should be fighting for Ukrainians. We should be fighting for Palestinians because it, any day now, it could be us. We could be asking Palestinians to come over here and defend our land, <laughs> it, you know, and that's just any time you get that opportunity to discover that and, and to, to really like solidify that with other people. And currently the Sami people are, they're fighting copper extraction in their land from a German copper extracting company. Um, so, right. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, um, kind of where I, where I found my, my role, um, because, you know, we're at Standing Rock. That occupation lasted several months through the winter. Um, and so I think there was a time when some of us, well, I'll just say me, but I'm sure more, <laughs> kind of, like, lost a little bit of sight of what we were doing um, yeah. because it was it was just this day-to-day, every day, okay, let's go pick a fight with, with the Army Corps of Engineers and not get shot. Like, all right, I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't know when the last time I brushed my teeth were, but um, let's do this. Let's put on our boots. Let's put on our damn Carhartt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> go out in the snow and be unarmed like and and that just became a way of life like okay you know and then come home and chop and it's like what are we what are we doing what, this is what, what are we doing what again? are we doing again because <laughs> we're pausing this pipeline for now but but what you know what are we doing new you know we gotta we gotta switch it up and what am I doing you know yeah. not really I can't speak for everybody but what am I doing? Am I really being useful? Am, mm, you know, that and is people,
0: such a good thing to like right. remind yourself. And
1: and everybody says, yes, everybody says, yes, warm bodies here. Or, you know, we weren't that warm, but <laughs> warm bodies living here. Bodies. Is, is, yeah, living bodies here <laughs> is a good thing. It's just just you being here and occupying the space is a good thing. But I'm like, well, I I do have other things I could be doing i have a family i have grandparents that i that i at the time i took i was taking care of and and you know i i needed i needed to i just felt like i had skills that i wasn't using yeah um one being a pirate radio engineer so the whole time i was there we had this pirate radio that only broadcast to the camp it didn't broadcast really beyond the camp itself, maybe you could hear it on a good day, like in Fort Yates or in the parking lot at the casino or <laughs> prairie whatever. Nights. <laughs> yeah, prairie Nights, shout out Prairie Nights. Uh, <laughs> but um, I also don't need to be there for that. That's something yeah. I can hand off. That's yeah. something I can train somebody else to do and give away my equipment, which I do not mind doing, mm-hmm. you know, what else, what else can I be doing? and so you know a, a lot of my my artwork it, it has often electronic elements and um you know visual elements but most of my work like i was saying is conceptual mm-hmm. and performative so something i wanted to do it, you know kind of just came into my head one day the way the way things happen for artists and, and um i just thought we need to we need to show that somehow whatever by whatever means necessary again that um we're not being listened to yeah and because because here we were doing all the right things we were we were filing in court of appeals we were taking things to the you know whatever circuit court um, in Fargo. We were we were doing all of the things by the book that they say you're supposed to do, and still we're being met with the other side of it, just disregarding rules and regulations that they created. Yeah. So, you know, here we are, you know, doing the filings, going through the procedure, doing doing due process, and you still have the U.S. government just just waving it off and saying, we're just going to go ahead with this pipeline because we already started and we don't want to redo it. And even though everything they're saying is illegal, nobody's listening and nobody seems to care. So, you know, at some point I felt my role as an artist is to, you know, I'm not doing enough by just being here, by just not getting shot every day. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's a success for me, but like overall, like that my cousin can do that. Like <laughs> <laughs> so um all right, so you know what like how do how do we show this? How do we how do we present this fact that we're not being listened to, um, so I staged it's hard to say whether it was real or not, um because it was staged, <laughs> but it was real so <laughs> the, the actors are real, they just don't know they're actors and uh so so the this this piece that i put put together um is myself, and um a handful of other women from the camp we first attempted to. What the, this, this short-term goal that we had was to block an $8 million loan from the Bank of North Dakota to the police to fight unarmed, not only unarmed water protectors, but a group of people who are generally dedicated to the idea of nonviolence. Mm-hmm. So not only people who are unarmed, but people who are nonviolent by by way of life, mm-hmm. like, are being, you know, like, there's an $8 million loan to fight us. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, like, are you that... Lame that, like, <laughs> because I mean, here the cops, like, they have their armored vehicles, they have their boots, they have their jackets, they have their bulletproof vests. What else L-Rads. more? Rads. Yeah, what <laughs> else more do they need? Because we're out here with, like, donated jackets and a hand drum. And some tires. And some tires. <laughs> like like a megaphone, you know, like
0: <laughs> and a lot of pride. And a
1: lot of pride. And a lot of songs.
0: So what? Is, what was this staging? I, so this, I don't even know if I know about this project.
1: Um, yeah, I'm like I think I have some documentation of it around here. Um, so this this staging was to block this loan. Was so first I wrote a I you know wrote an email to the bank president, um, and was like, hey, uh, you know, same thing I just told you, you don't need, you don't need a, fight us that hard like <laughs> relax relax chill out bro <laughs> slow your roll <roar>. love autumn <laughs> yeah love Who sincerely hates you? best regards um <laughs> mean it yeah Mini Wachoni. autumn um <laughs> anyway anyway um <laughs> And I remember what the letter said. And of course, he didn't read it or respond or anything. <laughs> so, I, so I wrote another one to the vice president of the bank, who also probably didn't read it, didn't respond. Um, but that's fine, because I, on my end, have this documented. I, you know, wrote these letters. They're dated. They're sent. Mm-hmm. Um, they exist. And, and that's all I need. I just need proof. A paper trail. A paper trail that I put you on notice. Um, then, so, you know, not hearing back from either of them, um, one of our, you know, allies in camp, a white woman, um, in, her, in her, you know, white woman voice, <laughs> 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 uh, called the bank manager, who's another 30-year-old white woman. So, in essence, you just have these two ladies having a conversation, chatting it up. (laughs) Um, And so the bank manager agreed to have a meeting with us. Wow. And and so again, we're very sure, I'm very sure, nobody's going to document this meeting. Nobody's going to take minutes at this meeting. So everything that's going to be said, I have to write it beforehand and make sure it gets in their hands. Mm -hmm. Um, And there we go again with this documentation, this proof that these words exist and that they have been, put outward towards a person or a, or, or, or a powerful, um, entity. So we all show up t- to our, our meeting, you know, tell her, you know, this is who's going to be in the meeting is four indigenous women from the camps. Oh, we just want to talk to you. We just want to 15 minutes to make our plea why you don't need $8 million to fight nonviolent Like, and, and, and me, you know, hopefully she'll see like, we're, we're mothers. We're, you know, we're not, not only are we, you know, we're not a bunch of like nonviolent activists. We're a bunch of women. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're a bunch of women and children and, you know, human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not what the news says we are. We're not these like, you know, unruly savages or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she, and she was like very like, she gets it. She seemed like a cool woman. And that she agreed to have us, you know, for our, you know, is a 11 a.m. meeting on a Tuesday. So um, we get there, we get to Bismarck, and we are walking through the parking lot. And we're, you know, and we're not, we're not in like our camp, you know. You took a shower. Or, I took a shower. <laughs> we're Yeah, braided hair, <laughs> moccasins, you know.
0: Got we, all dressed I'll up. Got all
1: dressed up, uh, you know, ribbon skirts, whatever. And we're walking through the parking lot, and, like, all of... Like, a SWAT team comes out of nowhere, and every intersection around the bank is suddenly closed down. And these huge, like, metal gates come down in front of the... Between the the, the, the double doors in the bank, and they shut. Before we even can get inside the bank, the bank is on total lockdown. Damn. And all of the intersections around the bank are totally swarming with pigs like lights on just you know like 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 something like someone's robbing the bank right like something like that and so we just kind of ignore all that and just walk, you know try to walk into the (laughs) bank and some pig like is like whoa 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 what are you doing and we're like we have a meeting and he's like you don't have a meeting like we have a meeting at 11 a.m here's our whatever with this person Mm -hmm. and He's like, no, no one's going inside the bank. And we're like, um, like, why not? And they're not really giving us a reason. But he's also telling me, if we don't leave, I'm personally, Adam Chacon, I'm going to be charged with kidnapping everybody who's currently locked inside the bank. What? Right, like like some sort of terrorist, right? And this is right, and this is this is what we see. This is, yeah these again outlandish like yeah we're seeing this now with accusations, um, you know, with with uh, Stop Cop City in Atlanta is like these these forest protectors. These are like straight up fucking vegan tree huggers, like. <laughs>
0: God bless. them.
1: <laughs> yeah, God bless these like hundred and ten pound, like <laughs> little wafy elves. Yeah, they're right. Exactly, these like oh my terrorists. God. Yeah, and they're being charged with like terrorism, <laughs> domestic terrorism. Oh you my know, God. like you will never see one of them with a with a weapon. Mm-mm. Not the way we you know we see these other actual domestic terrorists. Just running wild in this country, and yet yeah, it's always the the nonviolent yeah. woman with a letter, <laughs> <laughs> so with powerful. an envelope. So yes, powerful. with an envelope with an address on it, <laughs> who's who's going to be charged with kidnapping everybody in the bank? Oh
0: my god! And
1: you know that was documented at that point. There was um, I don't know who. There was, you know, there was... Somebody some, was filming. Somebody was filming. People were taking photographs. But there, wow. that's it. That's, that's the piece. You proved my point. We're not allowed to even sit at the table. Fuck. Wow. Right. right. Thank you. Thank you, Morton County sheriffs, for just proving the fuck that even when we do everything correctly, you won't let us. No. You won't let us sit down and have a civil conversation with our stupid-tasting bank coffee <laughs> with the manager you know you're gonna yeah. be out here pointing guns at us locking down intersections that's wild Inconvincing any everybody who's already in the bank just trying to do their day-to-day shit and blaming it on me
0: wow <laughs> who
1: has an appointment
0: it just goes to show like how much like fear-based tactics are used in those kind of situations and I definitely think just knowing Bismarck and knowing North Dakota, going up there for like the past 15 years every year because of Chinooka, there is an inherent like hatred towards indigenous people. There's so much racism. It's different down here in the Southwest. There's still a lot of racism and I don't want to like discredit that, but there's also like this weird romanticism that, right. like, it's also racism. It's just, like, it's, just like, re, like re recontextualized, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But up there, it's, like, they'll just, like, fucking hate you. Right, right. <laughs> like, at least you know what you're getting. <laughs> right.
1: And, and so this had to be shown. Yes. Right. Yeah. It had to be shown. Because
0: not everybody knows, like, that, that that happens in a lot of America. Exactly.
1: And so so it was successful because we showed it. Mm-hmm. you know did what, it
0: what did it go out on social media like how like where did that documentation end up so, landing
1: so where that ended up um sorry i'm just going to like rustle through some <laughs> like paper <laughs> loose like loose important documents.
0: <laughs> autumn is looking or, under her couch cushions. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm like
1: <laughs> looking under the autumn. I'm like, it's probably within arm's reach. I believe you. Um I see all
0: kinds of video cameras. So It'll
1: turn up. No, I have, it's papers. It's papers in a folder. Um, it's a blue folder. If you see a blue folder okay,
0: around that's, here. That's the evidence. Yeah, feel
1: free to look, look inside. Um, <laughs> Um, no, so what happened is that got the attention of a nonprofit and said, uh, "I want you to do this again, mm. but for real." Oh
0: wow. And
1: so so myself, again, in a delegation of uh, four other women, um, that would be Washday Day Win Young, uh, Tara Hoska, Dr, Sarah Junk- Jumping Eagle, and uh, Michelle Cook. So this was our new delegation, and this time we went to the Bank of Norway. Oh. and we went to Credit Suisse and we went to UBC Bank and whatever we didn't say, didn't get the opportunity to say at our meeting with the Bank of North Dakota, we now were able to say to the biggest oil funders in the world. Holy shit. Um, and they collectively sold $3.8 billion of investment because of those meetings that we had.
0: So what do you mean they sold it? So what is that? So it's different from divestment. Okay. Divestment
1: is just taking the money out. Yeah. Selling an investment is they get their money back, but it's it's less conglomerated. I see. Um and the blood isn't on their hands. So um, it's like kind of doing the right thing? It's taking it's removing themselves from the problem, but they're still funding. <laughs> there's still a problem. Yeah, there's still a problem and there's still people funding it, but But it's also, like, bringing light. Right. And there's smaller targets now. Yeah. So instead of one giant bank that represents an entire country owning this pipeline, now it's split up into all of these smaller targets. Um,
0: So when you went to the Bank of Norway with these women, did you know that there was going to be, like, a tangible outcome? Or was that just, like, a holy shit moment for you?
1: It was kind of a, this is what we got to do. Like, no, like... No other choice. Yeah, because this was also this was about two months after the camp had been evacuated. So there's no camp to go back to. Mm-hmm. This is this is at a point where everybody has sort of been evicted from this occupation and and spun out all over the country. Yeah, and also at that time, just a very heated time in the country. Yes. Not only did we spin out from this this occupation, but at the moment. There was, at the time, like a ban on Muslims, just like a a general ban on Muslims, whatever the fuck that means. Yeah. So there's like people shutting down airports. Yeah. There's um, so much fear. There was so much fear. There was there was, um, you know, just women in general. Just again, this very vague attack <laughs> on women. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. this is right after, you know, Donald Trump had become president and suddenly just the country was just it was just shit like we you know we came out of standing rock having been isolated in standing rock for several months and then we come out of the country come out into the rest of the country and the rest of the country it looks like standing rock there's like shits on fire like Oh my God! What a mess! Yeah, we were just like, oh, okay, it's everywhere. The black block is like in every city, just holding it down. So there, there's nothing to come back to if we were unsuccessful. Yeah. Whether you know, being a successful or unsuccessful was not even something that we were considering. It was was just just, the action. It was just moving forward, no matter what. and That's
0: that's a beautiful way to do that kind of work, you know. And you know,
1: it it couldn't for for me. It couldn't have happened. It was very intentional. there were no men in this di- delegation. Yeah. And that was strategic in that we needed women's voices to be heard. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we really understood in the time that we were each other's medicine in that time. Just being on an, you know, abroad. <laughs> <laughs> being broads abroad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know, I know. I tried not to say it, but. But you're in my house now. Uh, yeah, well, I get, I get the humor. <laughs> I'm right there.
0: Cheesy humor is my thing.
1: <laughs> but right, being, you know, coming from being in an occupation, uh, you know, on, on Madonna's land for, you know, however many months. Yeah. To suddenly jet setting to the other side of the world, you know, plane after plane, Atlanta, London Heathrow, you know, whatever. Oslo like just all over like (laughs) Switzerland yeah yeah um and which is funny too because not only being outside of camp but being outside of the U.S. and people are just totally people are just going about their lives and here we are in our PTSD like still trying to remember how to use a bathroom how to eat with a knife and fork like Suddenly we're dr- eating meat, you know, like, drinking wine, like, <laughs> <laughs> eating croissants, like, you know. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> so there, there, was, there was that, but, um, you know, we hadn't really processed, like, what we had. A month ago, we were being shot at. We were, you know, we were living, we were literally living outside in the winter in North Dakota, you know, Taking shifts, doing headcounts, making sure everybody in our camp came home that night yeah. um, to being in a part of the world who was completely oblivious to what we were going through, yeah. yet benefiting because the the bank of of Norway, w- which is the the largest oil f- oil, fund. <laughs> oil, oil fund oil oil fund the fund, the oil fund, yeah, so Norway being a socialist country, everybody receives a pension. Mm-hmm. And that pension is the oil pension. Yeah. And a lot of that oil comes from Africa. Um, some of it comes from the United States, from Canada, from Alaska, it comes from all over the world. Norway is the, the owner of most of the oil in the, in the world. Um, and that's how Norwegians live this very "Quote unquote non toxic lifestyle, just in harmony up there, so just with their damn healthcare and shit." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and you know great, great that for them. Like no, no hate on Norwegians. Um, <laughs> uh, you know they're but great everything people. comes at a
0: cost, right? Right,
1: but but to be in a in a country that's just living so beautifully. Li- why don't why are we why are we not living like that in the U.S. when we have oil here? It doesn't. You know, again, it doesn't compute. Like, how are they living so comfortably in Norway off our oil when we're not even living comfortably here off our oil? We in the United States don't have health care. We in the United States have unhoused people left and right. We're, yeah, I, I asked a cop in Norway, what happened? Where's all the homeless people? Like, it didn't even register what the fuck I was talking about. And I asked him, like, okay, just what, what were we to happen if somebody got really drunk and they... And they came out of the bar and they were so drunk that they just went to sleep in the bus station or on the sidewalk or in this doorway because they just couldn't figure out how to get home that night. And the cop was like, we would just take them somewhere safe. Like, it was just like such a like, no, no. Like, like, what are you talking about? Like, what fucking (laughs) crazy ass world do you come from? That doesn't happen. But if it did, we would just cuddle them and give them a blanket (laughs) like <laughs> so simple yeah and this is like a very non-threatening cop i'm talking to yes. he's wearing like a like a fluorescent green vest. probably
0: doesn't have a gun yeah he
1: doesn't have a gun <laughs> he's just there to make sure i know which bus to get on he, he's like a full-on cop you know oh, um wow right so it's like we you know but today we we look at these countries as as a goal you know, mm-hmm. we look at these countries as this is this is what a healthy society looks like. And at the at the same time, we're not looking at who pays for that. Um, yeah. And it, and it's us. So, you know, we were being in that space. It gave us that energy. We were exhausted. Yeah. But, you know, seeing being in a country where there's no homeless people and knowing that that's because they have this pension that they that they Get from our land it was like okay. I know exactly what I'm going to say to this board of directors tomorrow morning at the, you know, the 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 board of ethics of the bank. And again, it's all it's all men. Um, yeah. But there, um, it wasn't Bank of Norway. I believe it might have been Credit Swiss. There was um, one woman on the board, and she got it. She got it. She got it. She totally got it. And she's a mother and we're we're making our arguments while we're like being served like literally on a silver platter like a like a nice like frosty pitcher of water Girl, of, like I'm clean am so mad water some delicious,
0: delicious water ice cold yeah
1: <laughs> but it was it was it was you know it was it was traumatic yeah. switching gears like that and if I wasn't in this Group of, of other women who, you know, because we all also saw like our relationships, our marriages all suffered through this and and we had each other, Mm -hmm. um, So, you know, water is life, but women are medicine to each other. That is what we.
0: And to movements, you know, and to just like the health and well-being of humanity's relationship to the planet. And do you feel like that because it actually did produce a positive outcome to some respect, even if it might not been like the full, the full healing, like light switch, everything's fixed, you know, but you did have positive outcome. Do you feel like that's a model that nonprofits and people oh, are using?
1: Definitely, because since then it's become the model. It has. Uh, and it's been written about. Nick Estes wrote about this entire instance. And, and again the representation of brown women doing this. This wasn't, you know, this wasn't anonymous this wasn't black block yeah. uh, you know and, and i mean anonymous as in the character and you know the the activist oh, hacker group Anon- i wasn't even thinking real, that yeah right <laughs> i mean there's anonymous like i'm anonymous but there's also anonymous like the the
0: B, established yeah. <laughs> the organism. anti-establishment establishment yeah Oh, it's so um, complicated. I know. We <laughs> just end up becoming the very thing we hate, like <laughs> if we do it long enough. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but um yeah, I, I, in that moment, in that time, you know, whatever when that was, twenty seventeen ish. Yes, I think it was, and and it was on social media. I personally don't have social media. Yeah, I'm sure. You figured that out Trying to research me Um, I'm sure you followed that I figured it out the moment For like a minute And then realized The moment
0: that I was like Your sister's cool Raven Like but I can't find Anything about her And he's like yeah He's
1: like yeah Good luck She's that cool like oh shit he's like here's a map to the south valley
0: <laughs> you will get
1: lost <laughs> yeah you will get lost check it smith's first
0: <laughs> oh, but that's really um, cool that it has kind of become a formula but with I mean a, and a model um but well, how has it progressed
1: right so so I'm not on social media but um that instance was on social media uh-huh. um, it was you know people I hadn't heard from in years were like I just saw a picture of you on the internet in Norway like wow, that's <laughs> um, in you know in front of on Norwegian TV or whatever and it was it, and it got a lot of visibility in Norway like you said on Norwegian yeah, TV and Norwegian yeah. evening news and I think it was it was yeah just kind of that flip in seeing other activists saying like you know what I can do that. Yeah. I, as a brown woman, woman, I can make an appointment and go talk to somebody because we've forgotten that that's also doable. You know, our 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 very first instinct shouldn't be to go chain ourselves to a bulldozer. Yeah. Um, but that's what it's become because. That's, Shock and awe is what we thrive on. It's what we thrive on, and the, and and bull, chaining ourselves to a bulldozer is effective. It, I mean, it definitely uh, turns <laughs> turns some heads. Turns some, <laughs> property destruction is effective. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's say that again in the mic. Property destruction <laughs> is effective. <laughs> um, But also so is making meetings and going to talking to um, people in power and and leveling with them.
0: Yeah. Well, Um, I feel like there's so I, I feel like it's definitely not binary in the way that you can affect change, like depending on where you are in your life and like what you have capacity to do. There's so many levels of activation and sometimes it's on the front line. Sometimes it's going into legislature. Like whatever you have capacity to do, that right?
1: Uh, right. And that that trip to Norway that took that took so much more resources than I have. Yeah. So that took the backing of a nonprofit who paid for our plane tickets yeah, to, to even up. get there. Yeah. And and to. Um, to create that visibility for us, because like I said, I'm not gonna. If I go to Norway on my own, nobody's gonna see it because I'm not on damn, you know, face, <laughs> Facebook or Instagram or anything. The metaverse. The metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe you'll find it. I'll probably text it to somebody and they'll put it on whatever. Exactly. I'll email them a picture. Fax them some shit. <laughs> so <laughs> fax them a transcript. What the fuck happened? But yeah, it, it really came back to this um, and, and, and the research because we, you know, we throw away this around this language all day long. Defund the police, right? Well, the police, they don't, they, don't, they don't have money. So, like, defunding the police isn't a real thing. What we need to do is defund local governments that fund the police, right? So, like, when we're saying, you know, defund DAPL, Dakota Access Pipeline, DAPL itself isn't a thing. Yeah, exactly. When we say defund, now we have to go under, uh, you know, find, I mean, there's like, uh, I have a, um, again, if you see like a loose piece of paper with a graphic (laughs) around here, but there's like 20 different investors in that pipeline project, uh, you know. We know Wells Fargo is one of them. Yeah. We know Sunoco is one yeah. of them. We know, you know, there are some some very visible um, players. But then it's like, holy shit, over here in the corner, like Kroger <laughs> get, is funding someone. And and yeah. maybe it's not Kroger. I shouldn't have said that. But just someone you wouldn't even imagine yeah, yeah. is somehow funding this project so you really have to like research do your research do your research yeah. and and then you find these like really tangible targets and you... yeah
0: and money does talk like where you put your own money like and that is an energetic exchange is a form of protest too i feel like just like what you get behind with like your daily purchases
1: yeah and Cro actually kroger is or was a funder who defund who defunded who pulled out of um, mountaintop removal in West Virginia. So, oh wow! So th- I think that's why I threw that word in there. But th- yeah. they've also been targeted in def- defunding campaigns wow. when it comes to extraction. Interesting. And, and they're and it's like they're tangible. Yeah, you can go protest. You know, not everybody can go to Norway or Switzerland, yeah. but you can go to your local branch of you know whatever <laughs> and 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 demand. Yeah, make demands. And so that's what it came came down to was was this like really visible, like, hey, you know what, I can go to another country and talk a bunch of shit to another human being who's in a position of power. Because not long after that, I did happen to see a campaign of the EZLN going to Europe to demand defunding. And I don't want to at all say I inspired the EZLN, but... So um, it's a coincidence they're they're one of many groups that yeah. you know I suddenly noticed are yeah. are making these extreme gestures and they did that by boat wow. they're, yeah they're like well we're going to Europe we're gonna be full- on and not use any fossil fuel to get there which wow. is yeah. And then even that has snowballed. Now we see Greta Thunberg like yes. traveling the world in a boat <laughs> to <laughs> not use fossil fuels. And it's so so all of this snowballs, you know, yeah. so the, you know, these these things that I'm observing now. And I'm like, I remember when we were just barely getting stepping out of the van in the <laughs> bank in Norway parking lot.
0: It's wild how collective consciousness works. Right. Like and I think a, a lot of it has to do with like these generational shifts in like the way we we recognize what's important, you know, and I think you were on the crest of that wave, you know, and now we're kind of like in the middle of that swell. I'm always using like surfing references, so sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I definitely feel like that was a a point of activation that is continuing to ripple. Like what took place in Standing Rock, what you were involved in and at the forefront of we're still like feeling the effects of it. So I just wanted to like, thank you and thank all of the people who put their lives and their hearts on the line for everyone in the world, really. And just to shift gears a little bit and kind of talk about your artistic practice. And I just really want to kind of uncover and learn more about your sound work as a sound artist and like how you incorporate transmission and in broadcasting and i'm particularly thinking about your feather mic and your land disruption work that we kind of have talked about over the past couple of months just just because <laughs> <laughs> but yeah if you want to kind of like talk about that project a little bit i'd love to kind of learn more about it yeah
1: so um uh, that's that's actually a broadcast piece. Um, I have a lot of my pieces incorporate broadcast, and I mentioned um like having a career in legitimized broadcast, licensed broadcast. Um, worked at a few radio stations and TV stations when I was younger, and then I also worked, you know, off the clock. I I'd come home from my day job at the TV station and go. Illegally broadcast from my house into my neighborhood. Um, That's cool. Yeah, and that was that was something I didn't. Um, you know, it's like, kind of, you know, punk, anarchy, whatever kind of run of the mill activities. You know, for someone like me when I was when I was young, I didn't really realize the impact of of really like how radical illegally broadcasting is and because and, and mainly because I was doing it for fun, but I eventually kind of realized the role that it's played in history in anti-fascism. There there's even a saint of, really? of pirate broadcasters, um, which is Saint Maximilian Colby. What St. Colby. St.
0: Colby. Where, um, where does that
1: come from? What's the lineage of that? So St. Colby uh, was a friar, I guess, um, during World War II. Ah, oh, And he's, makes- he's a saint because he was um, in a Polish, I guess, concentration camp. Uh, a, a man was going to be executed, and, he, and that man had a family, and he offered to be executed in his place. So that's why he's been canonized as a saint uh, it's one of the things you have to do is is be a martyr but in warsaw during world war ii he operated an unlicensed radio station hmm. that was anti-fascist and anti-nazi and um and very similar to the way we used pirate radio at standing rock which was to get information to frontline um soldiers and warriors hmm. so you know we also n- know that throughout latin america um Pirate radio has been, like, prevalent throughout revolution, re- resistance, um, insurgence, whatever it's it's been, you know, including, you know, the Zapatista movement, including um, the indigenous movements in South America, um, you know, here we're, we're comfortably broadcasting from you know, somebody's kitchen or <laughs> art studio. <laughs> yeah. But there's, like, places in the world where it's, like, it, someone's carrying around a battery in a backpack and yeah. broadcasting from a undisclosed, you know, cave. Um, and so these have been tools of survival. And it just took over me in that way where, you know, I was like, what am I doing fucking around with these paid... <laughs> yeah. Paid broadcasting jobs that just play stupid ass NPR all day. Like, and
0: there's so many regulations, like. <laughs> right. And can music swear. <laughs> can't play Metallica. <laughs> can't. <laughs> FCC, yeah. The FCC. The paid,
1: you know, BMI and ASCAP and royalties mm-hmm. and. Even if even if you don't play these songs, these top 40 hits, you still have to pay for the right to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't even play that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's like right, it's just it's a sham. And even community licensed community radio, to in my opinion, is a sham um, because a lot of nonprofits get these community radio licenses, but who runs the nonprofits is like these old white liberal men. And so these community radio licenses are, in a sense, kind of a Trojan horse for liberals to come into minority communities and start playing classical music and NPR Um, (laughs) and and shit they think we need. Get cultured. Right, exactly. (laughs) Meanwhile, on our pirate station, we're broadcasting in Navajo. We're broadcasting local music. We're broadcasting an interview that happened with an elder at this event two years ago that nobody listened to then, but it's still relevant now so yeah. so that's when I kind of just emphasized what's important um and and you know, I love pirate radio i yeah. think it's like it's a I think it's unfortunate that the youth are just so attached to having followers and having you know kind of the rush of of a two-way experience when, like, I mean, I'll, I'll broadcast all day from my house, and I have no idea if if one person is listening. Yeah. I might just be broadcasting and <laughs> nothing. But that's important, too, because um, a lot of my work is also the incorporation of my traditional knowledge about science. And as Indigenous people, we have a relationship with the airwaves and the electromagnetic spectrum, and that's documented. We... You know, you see Navajo rugs, you see Navajo sand paintings, and there's this depiction of this person that's a rainbow. And they're a deity. They're a god. They're a spirit. But the rainbow is the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum. So, you know, how can we how, how can we have this representation cool. <laughs> of the re- electromagnetic spectrum without having knowledge of it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, So therefore, we must have knowledge about it, we must have always had knowledge about it, Mm -hmm. or that knowledge was given to us at some point by this deity, by by the holy people. And so for me, it's really important, again, that young people know this, because especially when you're not living in your community, when you're living off the reservation, or you're not living with people who speak your language, is you sometimes question your reality. And so when I, you know, when I broadcast illegally, <laughs> I don't, first of all, I don't call it illegally because who is the FCC to be giving anybody permission? That's like, it's, it's, it makes as little sense as it does to me about asking the government to live on the land, right? Yeah. So why would I ask the government to, if I'm allowed to occupy airspace? Um, or airwaves. Yeah, and so it's a good know, point, right? And the per, you know, and that doesn't mean I don't ask anybody, because we have we've been shown who to ask, which is the rainbow kachina, the <laughs> you know whatever whatever their name is, and and two, the the nature of science is that that character must be non-binary, that because that character. Embodies both positive and negative ions.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. I, I like thinking of that.
1: Yeah. So right. So right. Now we come in full circle with with modern day g- gender politics and gender discussions. Mm. When we, you know, we can look back to our depictions of our deities and we realize, um, and the way that we describe certain elements. There is female rain. There is male rain. Mm. And then there's these certain characters that are neither male nor female yeah. and we have a history of this we already know this so my my sound work it's not pleasant to listen to <laughs> 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 what do you mean
0: <laughs> I, I don't know maybe it is but well what does it sound like like give it's <laughs> <is> like <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> that was- <laughs> that's gonna be in MoMA. Yeah, that's,
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Does that sound right? Um,
0: <laughs> that's accurate. Yeah. Uh, z- z- um, <laughs> But there's a reason, right? Right. There's so, a reason it's not pretty. Right, right. So, I mean, the right. It's if intentional. If you're here
1: to listen to it, you're not here for the right reasons. <laughs> but what you're here for is to experience the the science behind what is going mm, on and the manipulation yes. of, mm-hmm. of the elements um, to produce. So so back again to broadcast, right? So we, you know, a lot of the work is 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 creating the atmosphere in which we can properly do things. Um, wow. So, right, by creating pirate radio installations is to also emphasize who is it that we're asking permission to, is to de-emphasize the federal government and re-emphasize our traditional knowledge as far as how we
0: understand airwaves and sound waves. And It's like taking mega-perts. back elemental power. Exactly. It's like we, like, we coexist with, like, all of these variations of, like, experiencing life.
1: Yeah, and, and so the feather mic, to me, uh, yeah, it's more visually impactful than it is uh, audially mm-hmm. because, you know, we, a teaching I was I was told early on, especially in broadcast, is that as Native people, as people, as humans, as five-fingered beings, however... Mm-hmm. You know, ho- however, it's translated to speech, is is one of the things that separates us from other beings, and and that's a, that's sacred, and even in our creation story, we talk about there was a time before we were able to speak, and we were we were equal with everything else, and Creator chose us to give us this power to speak, and. Like, we shouldn't just say things (laughs) because everything has thought, Mm. but we're the one creature that has this ability to speak our thoughts, and that's the first step into turning thoughts into real things. Action. Action or any type of manifestation, and it's a vibration. Speech is a vibration, and it can't be undone. Um, it's perpetual, you know, it projects forward. It can't be, it can't be taken back. You know, we say, we say these things to kids, you can't take back your words, but literally it's out there forever. Um, once it comes out of your mouth and therefore we have this responsibility of advocation. Um, we have to speak on behalf of everything else that can't, we have to speak on behalf of rocks and plants and animals and bugs and water, um, and air and, you know, and everything. That's, that's our, our job as, as people. And we've corrupted it, you know, as a society. We've totally, we've monetized it. We've done really ugly things with it. And so, right, so I'm not the type of broadcaster that, like, gets on and plays Justin Bieber all day. <laughs> I am the type of broadcaster that gets on and plays Amy Winehouse All damn day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I won't be playing Amy Goodman at all. Like... (laughs) <laughs> there's some boundaries. Yeah, there's some boundaries. There's <laughs> There's there's needs, you know, there's
0: assessment. So with the feather mic, it doesn't really pick up like voice or speech, but it's like picking up an environment of a space, right? So you're you're kind of like abstracting the ability to like um communicate. Right. But you're still collecting like the data.
1: Yeah, and there's there's a, a little bit of this idea, concept of everything is an antenna. Mm. Um, that's something I, you know, I say all the time. You know, I'll be out in my garden. I'll be out, like, harvesting my corn, and there's, like, the little tassel on top of the corn with the pollen. And that tassel literally broadcasts pollen to other corn and other plants. And that's the only way these other plants can, can happen is by being pollinated. You know, animals, bugs, caribou, Mm -hmm. deer Mm -hmm. all have antennas. They all have antlers. They all have this thing that's capable of resonation if a tuned vibration reaches it. And so we never know what's being interpreted. Yeah. We never know what vibration we're putting out and there may be an adjacent antenna that's capable of receiving it. We never know because it's all a matter of 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 fractions of a megahertz. You know, we <laughs> never know that's what cool. we're what we're projecting. Yeah. And so if everything's an antenna, everything is also a microphone.
0: Um, that's dope. Yeah, that's really cool to and think so, about. And so, yeah,
1: I think a feather is a very delicate and responsible representation of that, mm-hmm. um, because you know we tend we tend to be very kind of rugged with our communication and our antennas and our microphone. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes we feel like we have to we ha- we are forced to project into the mic. <laughs> but also, you know, you never know. Yeah when there's a a mic present.
0: Nowadays, right? Nowadays. (laughs) We live live in public. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But, you know, but yeah, Yeah. anything, you know, anything can be listening.
0: So when you were describing that project to me, you were telling me that there's like two transmission points Mm -hmm. and they disrupt each other. Can you kind of like break down that a little bit? Because what was really interesting to me about the way that you spoke to, about this project to me previously was how um it kind of broke down land land ownership and land disputes and like sovereignty and i just i just kind of want to unpack that for our audience how you're using w- waveforms to talk about sovereignty and land um yeah well again just just the act of
1: Ill, of illegally broadcasting quote unquote illegally broadcasting mm-hmm. broadcasting without an without a license not asking permission mm-hmm. to occupy airspace airwave space is an act of sovereignty and and that's it that like the peace could end there You're all
0: just pe- end of sentence.
1: end of sentence <laughs> end a, of, yeah i like that just, yeah yeah, it could be broadcasting nothing but just being pres- just broadcasting silence mm. um is an act of so- sovereignty as long as you, as long as you didn't go out and get a license to do so, you know. <laughs> and and this is and this is you know part of my life work. Like I, I had a career in licensed broadcast, and yeah. I didn't agree with it. Yeah. And I, you know, I question my, my community. Like, why do sovereign Indian nations not? Why are we not in control of our own communication, especially when? Communication infrastructure, the Lambda Line, for instance, um, which is like the fiber optic super internet line that spans the entire planet. Yeah, it runs through Albuquerque.
0: <laughs> Everything of runs all, through Albuquerque. Know, of
1: all places like we don't even have you know, Good nice, internet. nice things. We don't even have it. Mean, I barely have, like, damn <laughs> subsidized internet here. But, yeah, if somebody wanted to do, like, heart surgery in India, they could, like, come to Albuquerque to do it. Um, and we have it because we film a lot of movies here. Yeah, and yeah. And they transfer all of that data to Hollywood for editing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is dumb. <laughs> but... You know, all of the, you know, just telephone lines, electricity, Mm -hmm. internet lines, cell phone towers. All of these things are placed on or span public land and tribal land. Yet again, we're the least, we have the least access. Least amplified. We're the least amplified. Um, And we have the, the least control over it. Where even if, as indigenous people, even if we get online we're contributing to, you know, some corporation's version of what communication should look yeah. like. And mm-hmm. um, and it's so therefore it's not safe for us. I think it's a huge red flag when elders don't participate in something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> look to your elders. <laughs> yeah.
1: So like, okay, you know, our elders don't like us being on the internet. Um, there's something to that. Maybe we should inspect why
0: yeah investigate i think that's something that's missing from how quickly paced we're progressing Mm -hmm. technologically or the the mechanisms with which we're like communicating is like there's no time for like investigation or if there is there's like this weird pre-filtered resource like google you know that's like not really investigating you know you're just getting spoon-fed like the answers that you're supposed to know
1: <laughs> exactly and we don't question it
0: uh, yeah and I don't want to like get all conspiracy theorists on this subject but I really do believe that that's one thing that we're missing right now is critical thought.
1: Right. Just because you're paranoid <laughs> doesn't mean it's not like happening to you. <laughs> Trust your gut. Trust yeah. that paranoia. Trust your paranoia. <laughs> Five sources, people. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, my, my dream is that tribes, we're well into the 21st century at this point, is that tribes really start to take control of of their communication infrastructure and provide that for their people, for the use of their people. You know, we should have our own cell phone towers, our own uh, servers that our languages exist on and they're not, you know, housed somewhere else. We're not buying, renting server space from Amazon just so we have a place to preserve our language. Like, none of that makes sense to me. When me, an uneducated, self-taught engineer, I'm like running some pretty heavy shit, just like out of this house. Like, yeah. I'm <laughs> like, like, I'm looking like, yeah, I'm around. Like, I'm like, imagine what I could do with. Like, I'm some sitting in wires. Tribal <laughs> casino money. <Like>. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like, I but get it's y'all hooked true. Up.
0: I think that that autonomy is so important for sovereignty, for like self determination and like um, evolution of culture.
1: Yeah. So the the. Um, the, the piece that's named between our mother's voice and our father's ear. Um, yeah. Is that
0: the piece with the feather? Yes. Okay. So that's
1: the name of the piece. That title is a reference to mother being earth, father being the sun, and that, that relationship, that positive and negative ionist ship is what makes all waves all, all megahertz of wave. That's the electromagnetic spectrum, mm. is that relationship between, between earth and sky, earth and the sun is, you know, the, the magnetic sun, solar flares and everything. But again, back to our indigenous knowledge is, is we knew that <laughs> and we have names for them and we, and we have very prominent names for them like mother and father. And that we and that we understand that, the, that that duality is necessary for creation, and so it's also a reference to that's who we that's who we reference, not the FCC, mm. when we occupy airwaves, and the traveling of any sonic wave it literally we're just in the path of it, it exists with or without us we. We, we might be fortunate that maybe we're one of those antennas that resonates with it, and therefore we, we're aware that we're receiving it, but whether we're aware or not, these waves exist around us, and we're just simply an element between our mother's voice and our father's ear. Wow. Um,
0: just getting to tune in for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not and, disrupting it, just, like, uh, witnessing. Yeah,
1: and so the piece um, is two transmitters, broadcasting on the same frequency but broadcasting different things and the two transmitters are apart so their range of broadcast are are different areas Um, however they're close enough that at some point the two signals may bleed into each other uh, depending on where the listener is and so so that part of the work right is a reference to land and space Mm -hmm. and that you know Two voices can exist in the same place at the same time. And also, like, that's fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we don't need
1: permission. And, you know, boundaries and borders are arbitrary based on where you are, based on where the listener is or the receiver is. Interesting. Um, I've set up this piece in um, a lot of different places in the world. And um, on one transmitter, right, we have this this feather that's been converted into a microphone. And so whatever vibrations or puffs of air that that picks up, it broadcasts. So to a listener, that might not sound like anything. (laughs) (laughs) That might not sound very different than just- But
0: it's not about the listener, we're learning.
1: But then on the other channel, I mean the other transmitter, I will broadcast something that's a lot more literal. And usually it's, it, it is, it is again, a reference to the land. So in some cases it's been very, very just literal contact mic on the ground, in the water, or whatever, and that's yeah. what's being broadcast, is the sound of the land is occupying this FM channel. And that's also, like, you may be hearing that anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then other times I've... Produce very specific content that I want people to listen to, something radical that's coming from the land. So in one instance, again, with, with our Sami allies, is we use this piece to get a, a message across to people who would never know that the Sami are fighting this copper extraction. Mm. Um, and to broadcast that illegally during a broadcast festival <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a legal broadcast festival was the only way we could really get that message out there. So, again, the, there's the context of, like, what's important? Like, sure, like, art's important, but it's even more important when you're giving somebody a voice to, to, to a really well-funded audience who would never otherwise be exposed to this message or this, like, really critical information. Yeah. Regarding wow. the land that they're currently on.
0: I really appreciate the respect and care that this project seems like it has for like not only the airwaves and the land, but also like giving the listener an opportunity to like be a witness without having, I liked how you described it as like two-way communication. It's almost like you accidentally like, participate but it gives you an opportunity to witness that I don't know how to I don't know how to explain it but it feels like really subversive you're participating but you don't know you are
1: yeah one of the things I like I do like about this piece is that it it's experienced best outside of the gallery mm, that's um, yeah. yeah and and because galleries and museums is is just Another thing that I have problems with, yeah,
0: <laughs> but as an artist it's right, the... as
1: an artist, that's where I make my living, yeah um, however, like you know there's there's always the you know the the constant of who is and who is not welcome, able, has access to museum and gallery art, and sometimes it's not even an issue of. Of ability, but welcoming, yeah, where you know not everybody feels comfortable or or that a gallery space is meant for for them to be in, mm-hmm. um, especially people with children, people who are you know not versed in art and art history, and <laughs> um, you know all the different styles and genre of art, you know it can be overwhelming coming into an institution that only amplifies you know uh different periods of work and, <laughs> and, and within a very specific context of culture, even here you know here in New Mexico and Albuquerque is you know museums are filled with indigenous people, yet indigenous people don't feel comfortable going into these museums because it's also very anthropological it's um it's very extractive. It's very misrepresentational, and so me, you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to make work for people who are only gonna experience it in a in a gallery. It's you know, it's preaching to the choir. People, mm-hmm. people who are expecting to encounter art are not the people who need art. <laughs> That's.
0: Real. Yeah. yeah. And so that kind of leads me to like, like my kind of closing asking of a reflection from you for younger artists, for people who are maybe not younger, but just like kind of trying to find their way and maybe hold some of these threads that you have as kind of being like anti-establishment anarchist, but like are trying to find their stride, like because there is a reality about surviving and making money and like so how do you be against the grain and still like fund your life you know like it's it's a very hard balance i think a lot of people are trying to navigate how to think outside the box but also like sustain their livelihoods and do you have any inspiration or advice on that
1: yeah um Something I've kind of been been realizing as a conceptual artist, um, because I don't make like a product to be sold, um, yes. which which some artists do. Um, because you know, anybody's an artist. Anybody can do anything. Um, it took this really roundabout, long term for me to understand what I'm doing, and 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 this is like really kind of nuts and bolts, like filing taxes and and. Right. Sustaining my my life and especially being a conceptual artist, which is like, I can't explain to the bank what I just told you about, <laughs> like the broadcast <laughs> feather and stuff like that. And you file it. Yeah. And that I'm a quote unquote art, artist, you know. Um, <laughs> so. Right. So all of that can be that's the hard part um, is like, you know, getting your shit together and 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 financing your life which is I really had to understand the, the, the power of just advocating for myself and my life. Um, mm. Because if I don't, I'm going to get put back in this box of you have a thing to sell. You're a merchant. You're a, you know, you're a vendor, which I'm not, because I don't make things that people take home. So, because if I did, that would be a different tax bracket. <laughs> <laughs> and so, again, too, when, you know, when a gallery says, like, hey, like, we want to give you money to show your work. Um, but I have other things in my life. I yeah. have a I have a child. My child has to come with me. So we're probably going to drive yeah. to wherever this place is. You know, and this is also a double standard with men because yes. with, with male artists is... If if a man has like has kids, the gallery's just like, well the kids are obviously gonna stay at home with the mom. <laughs> but when you're a mom and you're an artist, like the gallery's just like, well, clearly you have another job and that's what pays for childcare. But no, that's <laughs> not true when you're a full-time artist. So the part where I have to advocate for myself is no, you're not paying for my art. You're paying for me and my life. Yeah. And part of my life is that I need childcare. Yeah. So really advocating for the things that are required for me to live.
0: And that shifts the paradigm. Like the more women artists, but the more women artists who like speak up for what they need, it puts that in the minds of spaces that might not even think of it because of that privileged white male art model that everybody's. Working out of for some weird reason,
1: you know right and this idea that you have a you have a a different mechanism other than the person you're working for right there in front of you that will handle the rest of your life you know, I'm <laughs> like today I'll yeah, this like whatever museum you are, today you're in charge of my health care, you're in charge of my child care, you're in charge of my car insurance because you're my employer and it's going to, it's going to change next month. But like I have had to really understand that a lot of the time a museum or a gallery just assumes I have another income somewhere else, or I have another mechanism that takes care of these things in my life. And it's not their responsibility. Um, because they're, they're, you know, so to shift the paradigm from you're not paying for my product, you're paying for me. Mm. Um, because right, a lot of my work it, it, as a conceptual artist. Yeah, it's paying,
0: experiential. Yeah, you're it's paying for like, my brain. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like pure gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm not shipping, you know, a thing. Well, it's funny because in these like DEI efforts and like this equity and inclusion moment that's happening, which I think is important and we need that we're seeing institutions working from old models that aren't including like holistic practices of indigenous black and Brown communities, right. Where it is a lot of times one person is wearing like 15 hats. Like it's not this privileged white, like cookie cutters, like middle-class art -art hobbyist. Right.
1: Right. (laughs) Right. Right. It's not my second job. It's not my hobby. It's It's not my,
0: yeah. Right. And Yeah. And you bring you bring your people with you, too.
1: Yeah. And I would say the other thing that I think has been important for for all of, you know, my my brother and sister as well. um, And they're they're older than me. So they've been they've been practicing art longer than me. And we we're all artists. (laughs) (laughs) But our parents, um, my dad was an attorney and my mom is a retired M.D., so again, they're they're very academic, but having come from activism as well, and that's their form of activism today. you know, my dad's a criminal defender because he, he we're not criminals. He's a water protector defender. He's a <laughs> he's an activist defender, um, and sometimes yeah, he's a criminal defender. But um, yeah, that's that's real, and and my mom too. She uh, sure she sees patients, but she's also on the forefront of. Understanding the epidemics that impact tribal communities and and minority communities the most, because on the on the larger scale, we're the population that suffers the most from preventable disease. Um, you know, we're well past the '80s, yet we the Navajo Nation is one of the highest rates of HIV, and it's like why? You know, <laughs> um, and same you know same with you know diabetes and COVID. Um, And all of these things. So, you know, my mom sees patients, but she also has this very broad mission of understanding um, community health. And so my my parents were very hardworking, and they've never doubted us as being just as hardworking. Even though we didn't become lawyers and doctors, they see the the work we put into, into our art. And so, you know, they're ideal because they... Um, as an audience because they're not, they're not artists. They're not in the art world. Yeah. They, they come from academia. So something that they had always done is we would create and they would, they would dissect it. They would question it. They would say, why did you do that? Why did you choose this? What are you, what are you saying? They would make us defend it. Um, and I meet a lot of artists who can't defend their work they, it's it's purely aesthetic. It's purely pop culture, and that kind of irks me because it's it's very mortal, and the, and oftentimes those are the ones who make a lot of money because it's very uh, marketable, you know, marketable and buzzy, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't say anything, and or it says
0: one thing like over and over and over and yeah, over and or over, or it's and a and replication
1: <laughs> yeah. of another piece that did say something, except that message is yeah. long lost. <laughs> um, so I would say, you know, that's not, you know, if that's the way you go about things, your career is not going to be very long lasting. This mm-hmm. is what I found. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're going to lose relevance eventually. Yeah. But if you can explain your, if you can defend your work, if you can, if you, if your work has a purpose and it can stand on its own two feet, then that's, That's what creates the longevity of a career Mm. because now you have an idea that you're trying to defend and every time you make work, you're going to, you're going to try to make a better argument, Mm. um, like your work is just going to get better. Yeah. If you have something that you're drawing. Yeah. If on. you
0: believe in it, everybody else will. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you have to believe in yeah. it first. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And especially if you're trying to make a point. You yeah. Know? You're gonna. Yeah. You're gonna continue. That's. That's what a mission is. You're yeah. gonna continue to try to make that point, even if the piece by piece, every piece is different, but you're gonna keep going until somebody gets it. You know. Yeah. And totally. so for me, those are the artists that I respect when I. I see their body of work and, and the ideas are just there, you Mm -hmm. know, they're, they're there and they, you know, I can see, okay, you tried it with this piece. And then 10 years later, you made this other piece. That's the exact same idea, but the pieces are completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are the, those are the career artists that I, you know, follow and admire. And then there's just a lot of artists who they're relevant for a year or two. But if they can't defend their work and they can't, you know, develop their own individual perspectives, then like it's it's a waste.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So to end us off, I haven't done this actually like in a few years, but I want to bring it back. This is an old school broken boxes moment. Uh, this is your soapbox moment. If you could say one thing to the world, this podcast does go out globally through streaming platforms. This is your soapbox moment. What would you say? What do you have to say? Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I want to know.
1: <laughs> um, this is going to sound evangelical. But I, I would say pray, everybody pray. And it doesn't matter what religion or, or or method of creation that you follow, but vocalize either to yourself what you want, what you want to see in the world. Um, because it's something we forgot and to do as a society. And I see it, you know, I just feel like we're not... We're not praying hard enough. You know, we, we want things, but we don't take the time to sit with those thoughts and, again, manifest them through our words first. Um, and that's all prayer is. I don't, I don't care if, if there's a God or not, but what I do know is that you're there with yourself in that moment.
0: That's beautiful. And it goes back to what you were saying about you can't take speech back, right? So like audible prayer is like a form of like intention setting. Yes.
1: That's cool. Yeah. I would like to encourage that, if anything.
0: Well, thank you, Autumn. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being on the project finally. And I just wanted to note, I was just thinking about when I first met you. You like came and set up a pirate radio broadcast at my house. Like, was that like 14 years ago? That was
1: a really, yeah. 14 ish years ago. Yeah, so uh, here we are. Here we are. (laughs) Little did we know. (laughs) I know. Here we are. We're moms. We have, like, legit gear. Oh, my gosh. Cool <laughs> things that have blinky
0: lights. We have fucking dope trucks. <laughs> I know. Moms and trucks. Yeah. Moms with trucks. <laughs> we're so cool. I know. I'm always making
1: fun of other Tacomas.
0: And we're wearing matching outfits. We're wearing matching outfits. <laughs> we have fucking... Same shoes. Punk Rock uniform of the day. We're badasses. I know. We've come a long way. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thank you.